And we are back for our cleanup show. And uh, hope everybody's having a great holiday season. This is one of those rare years where uh, Christmas and Hanukkah perfectly overlap. Isn't it just wonderful? When I that love happens. it when that happens. Yeah. I love it when that happens. My daughter, my daughter said to us today, because you know at school they 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 had their holiday concert and there there were some Hanukkah songs in there and some Christmas songs yeah. and they they rewrote the, uh, the one of them has a um, a second uh, verse that was written specifically to talk about you know driving on PCH and there's no snow on the beach and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's very funny. And, uh, and then there's another one. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Happy Hanukkah. We wish you a Merry Kwanzaa and a Happy New Year. Got all, <laughs> they did all four of them in there, right? They were like, where did it all in? Uh. And so she was saying, you know, she was asking us about Hanukkah today. And, and, and do, they, do they give gifts in Hanukkah? Oh, yes, absolutely you get gifts in Hanukkah. And there was a long pause. And then she says, and we celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas this year. <laughs> she's getting savvy. Yeah, she's getting savvy. Uh, you know, my wife say, tells her, uh, "Well, no, they give gifts like each of the each of the days of Hanukkah that you get a gift." And she's thinking, "That's a better deal. That's a better deal because <laughs> uh, that way I extend the gift giving." And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, she's smart. She's uh, a smart one. So, uh, Tim, um, uh, we got shortlisted. Oh, yes, uh, it, which is actually, it, it, this really is an, a, a fantastic thing, an exceptional thing. We're talking about just short film. The short film Refugee, <laughs> for those who, who listen to the podcast but aren't on the Facebook group. So the short film that uh, on which I am an executive producer, and I am one of several executive producers. I don't want to take any giant credit for it, but my wife uh, produced it. Um, uh, she was one of three producers. She did, she did the hard, heavy yeah. producing uh, during production. And uh, written and directed and co-produced by our friend Brant and uh, Brant Anderson. And uh, we shot it in June and uh, got this thing finished in August and September and and got it filed for, got it uh, it a one-week theatrical run and uh, qualified for the Academy Awards just before the deadline on October 1st. And uh, 191 shorts from around the world, a lot of them with festival exposure and a lot of awards were submitted and uh, ten were chosen for the short list. We are one of the ten. Yeah, to get down to that's already an achievement. Uh, uh, we're we're right so there. happy. Uh, five, of course, will be uh, actually yeah. nominated. So ballots open January second, and then uh, from the second to the seventh is the uh, nomination voting. And then on the 13th, uh, it's the most accelerated Oscar schedule ever. And then on the 13th, yes, it's we'll way know, earlier this year, way yeah. early. So on the 13th, we will find out if we are one of the uh, one of the five. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy already. Uh, I'm, I'm, and really, I, this moment right here is a great moment. We always, you know, we anticipate. Yeah. Uh, and and we, you know, we, we, we write well, that speech for the stage and all of that. And these are all wonderful moments. But this is, this is one that you ought to revel in a little bit. This by itself is an achievement and was hard work. It, it, was, it was so much hard work. And it be, because we, you know, we, we bit off a lot for a short film. It's a, it's a story of a Syrian doctor, a woman, uh, and her daughter. Who become refugees, yeah. and it's uh, you know we shot it basically here in Los Angeles, but um, with certain locations for the Middle East, and um, it's uh, it, we had a lot of locations and a lot of people and a lot of logistics, you know. Some significant actors, some, uh, and, some uh, name uh, actors yeah. in it, um, lo- pulling in a lot of favors, but a lot of love going all around. Everybody kind of being on the same page. There was nobody, nobody who did this. For the money. Mm. Nobody who did this, uh, everyone who did this, they did it because they read the script, they met Brandt, they talked to him, and they just fell in love with the material, and uh, and we pulled it off. And it was uh, it was a long road, but, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're there, and this is, this is just super gratifying. So 
I want to thank all the listeners to the podcast as well because uh, you guys keep us honest and doing this every week, talking about movies, rambling about mm. movies, putting our putting our souls out into the ether, and then uh, seeing you guys come back at us with the emails and comments on Facebook and. Uh, it's gratifying. You keep us honest, you keep us inspired, and uh, you you own a piece of this short list as well. So really want to put that out there and, and thank everybody who li- who has been so long and faithful uh, to the DigiGods podcast. You, uh, I want you to take a little bit of credit for our uh, our short-listed uh, short film. Yeah, outstanding, outstanding, outstanding. Do, do, do revel in this moment, you know. Uh, when when you make it to the five, that'll be a new moment to revel in. I love that you said when. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it is, you know, there's so much, there, there's politics and there's luck, and uh, and we'll see. You yeah, know, it's yeah a, but sometimes it's just good filmmaking. We were a, talking about it, you know. It's a strong field of 10 films. Yeah. It's a strong field of 10 films. Uh, you know, a lot of them foreign. There's a, a Romanian director in there who won the European Film Award. I haven't seen his film yet, but he's, you know, he's top tier. Mm. Uh, got an American director who, uh, who's been there before. He's been nominated before and has won a lot of awards for his commercials. So, you know, it's a, it's a tough group. It's a tough group, but it's nice to know there's a lot of quality short film filmmaking going on out there. It is. All but right, we're, we're gonna we, this. Um, um, uh, you know what? I, the film, the theatrical film that we have to speak about for just yes. Got to talk about cats for just. Oh a second. dear. Oh dear, indeed. Oh dear. I just don't understand. It's just this freakish, freakish spectacle. You know, when the trailer popped a couple, a couple yeah. of few months ago, everybody yeah. was already. Yeah. And and I gotta tell you that was so highly disturbing. Mark in Mark and I possible way. Mark and I did a slam for uh, for yeah. cinegods.com. Um, I, I I have been I've been calling it even before I saw it Showgirls with Fur, <laughs> which I stand by. That yeah. is exactly what it is. But Mark said something in the in the Cinegods review. It's the funniest damn thing in the world. Where he praised Ian McKellen's. Uh, performance uh, as the as the old theater cat because when he sang about the good old days it made Mark think about the good old days before he walked into theater to see this horrible <laughs> movie. I thought that was so funny. Oh my goodness, my goodness, Jennifer Hudson uh, with that snot, uh, Judy yeah. Dench looking like who? Bert Lahr from Judy yeah, Dench the, looks like Bert Lahr, the Cowardly well, Lion of the Wizard you know, of Oz. This digital fur wrapped around all these people. It's just like you know, it's all sort of like pheromoned up and kind of like horny and it's just yeah. like this is all extremely disturbing yeah. in every possible way I'm sure it, we'll, be, we'll be talking about it on the show it, you, you know. know Idris Elba when he shows up as as uh, McCavity the, the the evil cat who yeah. you know does magic and makes other cats disappear or something I still don't understand how that happens but um, he um, uh, he was cool when he had the hat and the coat. Uh, and when he took it off and it was just that digital fur skin suit. No. Idris, dude. No. You you have you you are you have a good body, but it but nobody looks good. No. It with that it, it that just digital fur that, thing. That was really problematic. That looked like some kind of avant-garde theater thing. It's just not good. Yeah, look, I know it's one of the longest running uh, musicals. Uh, 1981, I think it started in the, yeah. on the West End. But you know what? I don't care. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I care at all. This is terrible. It's such a, it's such a product of the 80s, yeah. too, isn't it? Yeah. And, and not for nothing, you know, I saw we saw it in the 90s, um, maybe the middle 90s, something like that. Yeah. It was terrible then. Uh, it's just always been bad. And, and and every now and again, these really terrible plays uh, sort of work their way into the... Into the you know the zeitgeist it's, and the, and established themselves and you know the the thing about it that I find really mystifying is that 
there are a lot of plays, a lot of Broadway productions, musicals, yeah, a lot of Broadway musicals that came cl- that were considered for film adaptations, mm. and at a certain point, more sane people said really no story here yeah it's just a collection of songs and performances and that's one thing when it's a live dynamic yeah. like a theater review yeah right that's one thing and like vaudeville it's all vaude- there are no stories in vaudeville but people went because it was live yeah that's one thing but when it becomes a movie you need to flesh out that you need to flesh out a story and like into the woods is a much more fleshed out movie than it was on stage a lot of Sondheim is like that, like Company and and mm. Sunday in the Park with George. You know, mm. these are these are things that have never really been done properly as movies. I think Company's never been a film. No, and you can't yeah. because it, unless you sit down and you totally rewrite it from page one. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And they should have done that here. There's a way to make Cats perhaps an interesting animated film or a CG animated film. But you need to write a script. Well, you know, even T.S. Eliot said uh, that he didn't think that the, those poems. That's right. Uh, uh, Charles we, said this on the radio. Well, yeah. You know, that, that he, Disney wanted to make a movie, and T.S. Eliot said, I don't think there's a story. No, no. They're, they're, they're yeah. just poems, dude, and yeah. they stand alone, but you string them together. Anyway, it's just yeah. a, uh, and then and then just it's all very just bad and, and, and disturbing. I just had to poke at that a little bit before we got started over here. Oh, yeah. So where shall we be starting today, sir? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in with the uh, with anime. Uh, lots of anime this week, including two really superb releases. Um, one of them, which I, you know, I don't know that this is. Uh, did Funan make the short list for? I haven't paid attention to any of the other short lists. I was just on Cloud Nine. Did Funan make the short list for animated? Do you know? I'm not sure whether it did or not. Well, G Kids, G Kids Funan uh, by Dennis Doe is a, an amazing animated film. If it didn't make the shortlist, it should have, and uh, I, I am remiss for not checking that. This is an animated film that takes place in Cambodia, um, right ar- around the time of the fall of Saigon in uh, neighboring Vietnam, and it's about a, um, uh, a a woman whose life is completely torn apart because the other thing that happened when Saigon fell and and obviously all that happened at the end of the Vietnam War is that the Khmer Rouge took control in Cambodia and this is an animated film believe it or not about the uh, about a woman impacted by the rise and the terrorism of the uh, the Khmer Rouge regime and uh, it is this is like an animated killing fields it is so profound it is so beautiful it is so powerful. Um, and it's so well animated. I, uh, I, I think this is really an extraordinary film. And I'm surprised that this wasn't promoted to us um, by G-Kids because I think this could have won our, our animation award. Anyway, Funan is what it's called, F-U-N-A-N. Uh, and G-Kids has released it through Shout Factory. Has an interview with the director, Dennis Doe. Uh, plus storyboards, trailers, art gallery, not a whole lot. But it is really, really a superb film. And uh, I, I just urge everybody to see it. It's really wonderful. It's Funan. Uh, and then going back a little bit, Satoshi Kon, one of the great legends in animation uh, in, J- in uh, Japan, one of the great anime godfathers, uh, made a beautiful film some years ago, which is also now out from um, uh, Shout Factory. And that is Millennium Actress. Uh, this has been restored and remastered for oh, 4K transfer. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Millennium Actress is just a wonderful, wonderful movie. It's also one of the few anime films of the last mm, fifteen years or whatever um, that. And this is this is from gosh, when was this? Was this two thousand and I think this is. It can't be two thousand and one. It was. It was two thousand and one. Wow. wow, it's twenty Almost years ago. Twenty years ago. Yeah. Gee whiz. 
Can't believe that. Anyway, um, one of the last twenty years, um, it, it doesn't it doesn't overly feel anime, and that's not saying anything bad about anime, but it it kind of takes a step out of the the conventions of anime to to be a little bit more um, realistic in some respects, and that's uh, quite a risk. And Khan does it just beautifully, and this is effectively the um, the story of an actress. And um, kind of told in a, in a documentary fashion. And it is just absolutely beautiful. It's poetic. It's unusual. It's very different. And it's a wonderful film. And uh, there are interviews with voice talent and producers on this. Nothing with Satoshi Kon himself, obviously. But um, really a lovely movie. Uh, just a lovely movie. Millennium Actress. Two really great anime releases this week. And then we've also got a third season a complete collection of... Uh, Haikyuu, two exclamation points. This is from the Sente collection, 10 episodes on two discs here. This is uh, continuing the, uh, the, the the volleyball drama of, uh, of Haikyuu. Um, nothing terribly new right there. And then we also have uh, my teen romantic comedy Snafu. This is seasons one and two in an English dubbed collection. I... I I just uh, can't really recommend anybody listening to this uh, English dubbed, but um, you know it. It's uh, and 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 remember the Japanese is on here. It's just that they also have the English dub. If you already have these with the um, just the Japanese, then just stick with it. There's no reason to to actually ever listen to an English dub for for any quality anime. Um, and you know my teen romantic comedy snafu. It is what it is. It's it's that cute little. Um, services club drama with these with these schoolgirls and uh, you know they uh, they have their they have their unusual adventures um, a few other things that are uh, that are familiar and just kind of reissues or ongoing uh, narratives Hitamari sketch uh, got a new collection of that out this is the picture perfect collection Big-eyed little schoolgirls in their uniforms and some very, very remedial uh, jokes. I don't, I can't highly recommend that one particularly. That's not really my, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm too old for that stuff. Uh, the Complete Collection of Seven Senses of the Reunion. This is also from Sente. This is also very female-centric, and uh, this is actually kind of uh, interesting. I This was not on my radar. I thought this was okay. This is, um based around a game that I guess is real and popular in Japan, the MMORPG Union. And uh, it's, you know, it, once you sort of acclimate to the idea of these kids playing this, uh, this game and that this sort of uh, creates a Jumanji-like um, adventure inside the game, uh, if you can sort of get into that, then I, then it's actually quite a lot of fun. There's a there's it's there's a Tron like leap of faith that you have to take, but it's okay. You can you can get there. Uh, we also have the Ultimate Collection of K on that's K dash O N Ultimate Collection. More schoolgirl shenanigans. Forty one episodes on six discs. They rock and roll. They do all kinds of fun things. They uh, they're in school. They rock and roll uh, anime girls. What do you want? That's all it is. It's wish fulfillment. Uh, Golden Time, 24 episodes on three discs, also from Sente. This also has a new English dub that I urge you to ignore and forget about. Uh, this is, you know, middling, more more sort of um, uh, young person, teen and young adult drama. 
and doesn't really uh, doesn't. I mean, it's. I, I guess you sort of have to be very specifically into that subgenre to appreciate it. Um, let's see what else we got here. We got uh, Gakuen Basara Samurai High School. That's kind of fun. Uh, we have a lot of other things. You know, we have swimming and volleyball and basketball and all kinds of sports activities and a lot of these things. I like the idea of a samurai high school. I really do. I find it very entertaining. Uh, and uh, I went to that school. I wish there were one. Twelve episodes on two discs. I uh, got Natsu no Arashi from the Maiden Japan collection. Uh, this is a um, just kind of a teen summer adventure thing uh, about a guy who goes meets a meets a girl when he's staying with his grandfather's house during the vacation, and uh, there's a there's a there's a sort of a mystical fantasy element to it that evolves. But uh, you know, and a ghost story. But it's uh, but it's cool. It's cool. It's it's a lot of fun actually. So uh, Natsuno Arashi, that's worth checking out. Uh, and then the last two here, I'm I, I'm gonna finish the other ones later, and I'll uh, turn it over to you to do some documentary mm-hmm. stuff. Got uh, Setokai Yakuindomo. Boy, I can't believe I actually mastered the pronunciation of that. Setokai Yakuindomo, and that's spelled S-E-I-T-O-K-A-I. Second word, Y-A-K-U-I-N-D-O-M-O. And this is really, really unique. You know what it's about? Yeah. Schoolgirls in a private academy. Oh, again. Again, man. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, well. uh, anyway. Um, like I'm complaining. Yeah, it's an all-girl academy, and uh, it, it goes co-ed. And then so now there's a guy who winds up being one of only 28 boys in a 500-girls girls school. This is like every Japanese man's teenage fantasy. It's ridiculous. Anyway, that's the premise here. It's you know it is what it is. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of suggestive stuff. There's a lot of fetishistic stuff, but uh, otherwise, it's surprisingly quite funny. I did find it very very funny. This is season one and season two on five discs, complete collection. Uh, I'm gonna say that title one more time. Saitokai Yakundomo. I'm so happy I mastered that. And then the last one here I'm gonna mention is also from Sente, Bloom Into You, the complete collection. Two discs, 13 episodes of um, a surprisingly good series that is um, sort of young love and it's all very wispy and, and sentimental and uh, really, you know, I mean, yes, it's, it's high school politics again and all that kind of stuff, but boy, it really seems a lot more sincere and less uh, exploitative than most of these things are. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought uh, this was quite lovely, nicely done, and um, and pushed some interesting boundaries, uh, pushed some interesting boundaries here. So I, uh, I, I like it. Bloom Into You, complete collection. What do we got on the dock end? Uh, I'll start with a few of these PBSers, uh, which are some really lovely documentaries. A few of them we were talking about not terribly long ago when we were um, uh, evaluating nominations for the Los Angeles Film Critics Awards. One of them included For Sama, which is an extremely powerful documentary, uh, basically conceived as a letter, a love letter, from a, a, young, a young Syrian filmmaker to her daughter. Uh, chronicling uh, her life. Uh, a lot of similarities between our short and, and this, and, by the and, way. And that, and that, it was, and, and it was very movie. striking when we saw this. I remember. Yeah. You, I think you had seen it already, but yeah. when I saw this, I sent you a note that said, you must see yeah. this movie. Um, uh, it's a very powerful film. Um, uh, this young woman, uh, um, Walid Al-Kateb, uh, is basically filming, starts filming, at the beginning of the Syrian Revolution. Um, uh, she and her filmmaking friends uh, are, are basically documenting exactly what's happening. And this is a very uh, interesting film in that we get 
to watch what's happening when they are in the sort of delighted moment of joy when they think that this revolution is going to happen uh, and that the, uh, the Syrian government is going to fall. And then we drone on for the next five years as these young people, these rebels, find that this uh, isn't going to happen nearly as quickly as they thought. A and we watch them as they go through their lives. Uh, she gets married, uh, has this baby, Sama, and basically creates this document as a record of what their lives were like. We meet so many people uh, in this documentary, at the beginning of this documentary, early in the first five years, who do not survive all the way through this film. It's absolutely devastating. In some ways, it's like watching a narrative film, uh, except that it's, it's beautiful. Not. It's just uh, beautiful. Deeply moving. Uh, again, a love letter uh, from this uh, Syrian mother to her daughter for Sama. A powerful film. I don't think it made. Uh, I don't think it got nominated. Uh, I, I mean, I think it was nominated yeah. out of the country, but it didn't make the short list. Yeah. For the Academy Awards, which is a, a bit of a, of a shame. Odyssey, the Chamber Music Society in Greece. This is a very interesting film. The Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center uh, goes to Greece, where you know the sort of classical foundations of, of everything classical in the context of modern society, uh, including uh, music, was, 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 uh, was founded. Uh, and at a number of locations all over Greece, uh, they play uh, everything from Bach and Beethoven to Mendelssohn and Debussy, Ravel, um, uh, uh, creating, creating uh, these, this beautiful series of concerts, uh, while uh, at the same time taking us on a sort of historic journey, journey uh, through many of these places in Greece, the sort of first ancient theater at Larissa, uh, the 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 the, the at, at Palladion. It's just these beautiful, beautiful concert halls. Some of them ancient, some of them brand spanking new, including the Stavros Nikaros Foundation uh, and Cultural Center in Athens. Uh, and all of this music is absolutely exquisite. These are some of the best musicians on the planet, and they make the sort of connection from uh, the classical Greek society back to this uh, classical music. It is it is quite quite beautiful, indeed. Um, uh, N. Scott Mamadi. N. Scott Mamadi uh, would be one of the founders of the Native American Renaissance uh, and uh, Native American poetry and literature and music and everything else for that matter. Um, uh, he's an absolutely fascinating man. Uh, he's uh, 85 years old now. This documentary, uh, N. Scott Mamadi, Words from a Bear, uh, takes us through the, uh, the journey of his life. Uh, much of his work, he's a Pulitzer Prize. He, he won the first uh, sort of major um, uh, Pulitzer Prize for a Native American writer back in 1969. Um, and this is an absolutely extraordinary um, uh, uh, documentary. Um, uh, we get readings from N. Scott himself, as well as uh, him in dialogue with Robert Redford and and uh, James Earl Jones uh, and, and several other folks uh, who are familiar with this work and very big. It's just you know, from the, the Native American Society, this is just about one of the most important historical figures you could run across. Most folks have never heard of him. He wrote a novel called, in the, uh, 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 one of his first novels, The House Made for Don, uh, which got that Pulitzer Prize in 1969. Beautiful book uh, that should be read by everyone always, uh, to my mind. PBS documentary, A Life From Above. This is just an absolutely fascinating series of four films, actually, uh, all taken from satellites, filming various different uh, areas that the satellites are traveling above, documenting exactly what is happening to yeah. our planet. Uh, the first one is called Moving Planet, and, and, and it, really, it really shows us, a lot of it's done with time-lapse photography, how our planet is constantly reshaping itself. Uh, air currents, waves in, in the ocean, uh, the, what the winds do, 
uh, is just an absolutely colorful planet. This one is just an absolutely classical when it floats over the Brazilian right. uh, and the rainforest, particularly mm-hmm. during that period. It's a period um, last summer when it was all, kind of all on fire. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was horrifying, but it created these images that are absolutely breathtaking. A uh, uh, patterned planet, uh, just a, a view of the Earth's surface from space, and you see these absolutely intriguing patterns created by everything from the Grand Canyon uh, to canyons, for that matter, underneath the sea that this sort of satellite photography can actually see through. And then the last one is called Changing Planet, and this one is the most devastating documentary at all. Mm. As we look at the ice sheets, uh, uh, around Greenland mm-hmm. uh, and watch them shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and then not come back to the size that they were before uh, when the next winter right, rolls around right. and then shrink and shrink and shrink again. Uh, if, you've, uh, if you don't believe in climate change, wa- watching this film, Life from Above, and the four films within this film uh, will teach you something about the reality of our changing planet, including climate change there for a while. A wild metropolis here in Los Angeles, this, this makes total and complete sense to us, but there are other places around the world where this makes sense too. Um, e- either we are encroaching on the lands of uh, wild animals, yeah. or wild animals are encroaching on land that we want. You can look at it any way you want. Yeah. But if you're in Florida, in places in Miami, uh, in Dade County. Urban wilderness interface. I- interface. Yeah. Uh, a, a crocodile is going to walk down your street. or What are they? Are the gators or crocs down there? I, I always forget. I, I, I remember some years ago, shopping center not too far from where my daughter goes to school, a deer ran into the uh, Banana Republic women. And, <laughs> Which is and, an appropriate place. And they got it, tra- and, and it wound up getting trapped in a dressing room, and it had a heart attack and died. Oh, well, yeah. It's horrible. That's, actually, that, that makes sense completely. And, yeah. of course, uh, where you live and where I live, wildcats are, beco- are becoming very common. Cougars, wildcats, oh, depending yeah. on where you live, they call yep. them. They're the same animal. They, uh, and, uh, and, and people's yards. One killed a dog not so terribly long ago. This documentary here, Wild Metropolis, is all about that. Uh, it's all about how we or they are encroaching upon one another uh, and what we're going to have to do about that uh, if we actually care uh, about uh, these animals. Flint's deadly water, we're all, of course, familiar with the uh, water lid in the water situation in Flint, Michigan, of the last five or six years. Uh, there's another story behind that story that fewer people are aware of. Folks who saw this frontline documentary, Flint's deadly water, will know that during that crisis, and continuing to this day, because that crisis is not over yet in Flint, a deadly case of Legionnaires' disease broke out that continues to this moment, that has taken several lives of young people and children and very, very old people in Flint. Folks, Legionnaires' disease. Look mm. Legionnaires' disease up, yeah. and, and, and you will know why that, that is perfectly insane. For uh, the disease that we all but eradicated almost 100 years ago Mm -hmm. in the water in Flint, Michigan, right this very second. The only thing crazier than that is the fact that measles is back. I know. Dude, dude, they got rid of measles when you and I were children. Uh, Before. Before we were children. Lack of herd immunity. Anyway, this is an absolutely – and again, uh, yes, the the, the lid in the water, lots of folks are talking about that. The Legionnaire's disease thing. I'm telling you, folks, we really need to start paying attention because things are going on. (laughs) Um, Making us feel a little bit better. Animal Babies. This is one of those just sweet little documentaries. That's literally what it says. The first year on Earth, it goes through a a number of beautiful, cute little animals. cute little babies. And we follow them for the first two or three months of their lives because that's about how long animals, various different animals, baby elephants, baby otters. Well, they're not cute after that. No, after that, they're vicious, horrible animals that want to kill you. (laughs) 
uh, and uh, and then this movie, this movie series wouldn't make any wouldn't make any more sense. Uh, you want to grab a couple over there while I yeah, get myself I'll, organized? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go through the uh, the rest of the anime. The Funimation Library has given us a whole bunch of great new stuff. We have uh, collections one and two of Hetalia, which is the tenth anniversary World Party collection. Um, it's seasons one through six broken up into two different sets, one through four plus the movie in one set and five and six in the other one. Hitalia, of course, is a, is based on the original web series uh, or web manga, web comic series, Hitalia Axis Powers. It's all basically World War II lived out through the experiences concurrently of characters who are named after the Allied and Axis Powers. You know, you've got... Uh, England and France and Italy and China is like this immortal 5,000-year-old. Anyway, so uh, it's it's really kind of weird. It takes some getting used to. It's a very unusual, but it's also a very, very popular uh, franchise in anime. 10th anniversary collections here. Uh, released only on DVD. It's the only stuff. And I'm not quite sure why. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, Funimation is releasing these in these two sets only on DVD. Hopefully the Blu-rays will follow at some point. And then we also have uh, Ace Attorney uh, Season 2 Part 2 is finally out. It's, you know, Ace Attorney is kind of like the anime version of uh, Perry Mason. Lots of cases, lots of attorneying. Uh, it crosses over pretty well. There's some stuff that, uh, you know... You're not quite sure what legal system is going on here. It's not the American legal system as we know it, but it works. It's still, uh, you know, courtroom stuff, and the, the intrigue is fun. The animation is, is sharp. Uh, Conception, the complete series, is a pretty decent fantasy. However, the only way to describe this, I'm going to read straight from the press materials because there's no other way for me to, to beat around the bush and to describe this adequately. Here is the press synopsis of Conception, the complete series. <laughs> After being whisked away to the magical world of Granvania, this way I have plausible deniability. They can't blame me for describing it any other way. After being whisked away to the magical world of Granvania, Itsuki must perform love rituals with 12 beautiful maidens, and with the star children they create, he will defeat the malicious creatures corrupting their world. <laughs> I I'm sorry. Basically, what this is, is saying is um, be as promiscuous as you want because the fate of the earth may depend on it. <laughs> That's what we're talking about, Conception. Uh, it's okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, call it great no. anime or anything, but it's, no. it's okay. Uh. <laughs> and then we also have um, uh, Meiji Tokyo Renka, the complete series. Uh, which is uh, which is which is fine. It's um, you know it's a time travel thing. You go back to the Meiji era of Japan, which will mean nothing to anybody who doesn't know Japanese history. And uh, there's kind of a it's sort of I don't I don't want to with it's it's like somewhere in time with Japanese feudal society. Hmm. Let's put it that way. It's yeah. a little bit that's it, that's kind of what it is. Sort of kind of sort of. Um, then let's see what else we got. We got uh, Chain Chronicle, The Light of... And I have no idea how to even pronounce this word, even after watching part of it. Uh, Chain Chronicle, The Light of Haecitus. Haecitus. H-A-E-C-C-E-I. Gesundheit. I know. Uh, complete series. Uh, this is pretty much straight up Lord of the Rings. It is Joseph Campbell through and through and through. It is fairies and all kinds of mythical creatures in a, in a world that... Uh, can only be saved from attack by a messianic figure. Call him Frodo or Bilbo or Luke Skywalker, whoever you want. 
it's that exact scenario right all the way through. No, uh, no deviation whatsoever. It's like they read Joseph Campbell and said, there it is. That's all we want. Uh, Star Blazers Part 2 continues my favorite Star Blazers uh, re- reinvention, the reinvention of Star Blazers, the, the reboot of it. Uh, this is uh, now fighting the White Comet Empire and the and and you know uh, pulling together and doing the, all the it, I mean all the star battles are great. Uh, we've also got another One Piece. This is episode of Skypea, the TV special, which is pretty much more of the same. Uh, you know, it doesn't really reinvent it in any degree. If you're not familiar with One Piece, it'll mean nothing to you. Uh, Radiant season one, part one. This is a very popular anime series. Uh, based on a French comic that was finally turned into an anime series, which is, I, I think, very interesting. Uh, and this is all about, uh, you know, sor- protector sorcerers and uh, and a young wizard and uh, in, a, in a magical quest and more Joseph Campbell stuff. But because it's based on something French, it's actually quite interesting. There's a, there's a cultural crossover that I think is, is pretty cool. Uh, season two, Steelbook of Yu Yu Hakusho. Which is, uh, you know, which is fine if you, you know, it's it, it on it's the ongoing episodes of the dark tournament and uh, you know who's gonna win when they step into the ring. It's I mean if you if you if you haven't seen season one, it'll mean nothing. If you have, it's basically more of the same. Uh, restaurant to another world, the complete series. It's totally bizarre. It's about a restaurant that uh, that that serves very unusual foods and has a very unusual clientele and um and uh, enters into some very unusual adventures as a result very very peculiar show uh we also have let's see what else do we have here um my roommate is a cat the complete series much better than the movie cats uh, this is all about a, an author who uh, who finds a stray cat and uh, it inspires him to write a novel and then the cat goes haywire and, and he starts to regret it. It's kind of funny. Uh, Fruits Basket, Season 1, Part 1. This is a really big, beautiful box set. Uh, it comes with uh, resin replicas of characters uh, from, the, from the series and a set of three art cards. And uh, it's, it's really quite a... It's, it's a it's a pretty fantastic gift set. I'm not sure the show really warrants it, to be honest, but apparently it is popular. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's a fantasy, but it, it defies description. It's, uh, it's a little bit unusual. Um, Golden Kamui, K-A-M-U-Y, season two, is, uh, again, more of the same. Uh, it's a little bit... It's a little intense, actually. Um, the... Uh, you know the the war that goes on here, uh, and then the last two Nanbaka, the complete series, which should be familiar to everybody. This is a uh, a prison tale, um, all about you know inmates and the drama therein. It's it's pretty solid. It's it's got a real following. And then lastly, uh, Harukana receive receive R E C E I V E, the complete series, which is more um, high school and volleyball and summer drama and and youth stuff, the kind of stuff we're always talking about from Sente. So there we go. That's the uh, that's the Funimation rundown. What else do we got on uh, on uh, on docs? Well, I have a few more docs. Let me knock off the last couple of uh, PBSers, uh, if I if I may. Uh, beginning with, um, um, let me see. Where is it? Oh, Raul Julia, this wonderful Raul Julia, uh, who died in 1994. 
Raul Julia, uh, was, of course, Puerto Rican, came onto the scene in the early 1960s as part of that that sort of uh, yeah, that's uh, right. Miguel Pinheiro and all those yeah. guys who were, who were who were coming into the, to the scene at the time before the sort of notion of uh, diversity and all of these things uh, happened. Raul Julia managed to carve out a place for himself yeah. as as an actor. Now, Raul Julia would play all kinds of characters: white guys and Jewish guys and yeah. and Arabs and yeah. and uh, you, know, you know, as a matter of fact, he mostly never played Puerto Rican guys. <laughs> that's true. Uh, it's almost the only thing he he didn't play all yeah. that much. But he, he built this amazing sort of career for himself, particularly on Broadway before we came to know him, probably right. in that major, major role, Kiss of the Spider Woman. That's right, opposite William Hurt in his uh, Oscar-winning role. And absolutely uh, astounding. He deserves portrayal. as much credit for Oscar uh, for, for William Hurt's Oscar. Oh, yeah. Easily. Oh, yeah. yeah. He gave William, he gave William something to play off. It was just absolutely amazing. Uh, and this is a wonderful documentary that, that uh, sort of covers the, the diversity of his life from, from where, he, where he came from, literally from Puerto Rico, that period in the, in the 1960s right up through the 80s. Uh, and, and, of course, his sort of iconic performances in those Adams Family movies, uh, which uh, he is, of course, known for. But, you know, it would be a shame if Raul Julia was left to be known uh, only for his uh, performances in those Adams Family movies. He's quite a wonderful actor. Uh, well before that. This is a great, great American Masters uh, presentation about Raul Julia. Um, uh, yeah, so America's Test Kitchen, Home for the Holidays. So, you know, America's Test Kitchen, a show that I watch occasionally, every now and again. These wonderful cooks, scientists, nutritionists, uh, you know, uh, going through and sort of explaining the way things are done. I used to hate it because I could never duplicate the food. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm getting closer, so I like it a little more. It, it, it really is sort of uh, a neat thing. This one is their holiday show. So, you know, all those sort of wonderful holiday dishes that you're going to uh, have just made or be, be getting ready to make. Um, uh, uh, illustrated for you on this episode, uh, this series of episodes from America's Test Kitchen. 60 minutes worth of stuff. Uh, really, you know, good stuff. And uh, if you're a chef, you're going to want to check that out uh, for sure. Magical Land of Oz. Uh, and the land that they're talking about is Australia, uh, which in a certain sort of way is almost Oz-like. If you consider the wealth of uh, fauna, animals and fauna all over Australia that exists no place else, uh, in, in society, it's just, it really is a, a somewhat magical land. This film uh, works its way down from the snow peaks uh, to the depths of the, the deserts, uh, looking for all kinds of wild things. There's an animal called the numbat. Uh, I'd never even heard of this animal. It's in this movie, the numbat, a gigantic cuttlefish. Uh, it's just really a, a extremely you, diverse. Do you want to cuddle with a cuttlefish? No, not really. No. It's kind of no. ugly, big, and mean. <laughs> um, uh, but this is just really an, an extraordinary uh, Australia. I mean, when you look, we live in America. Yeah. Uh, you know, but if if you've never been to Australia, I was I was on an aircraft carrier, so we went to Australia yeah. many years ago. Like that, it really is a fascinating place where you will find things that you will not find anyplace else. In 1987, at St. Louis's Fox Theater, um, I went to a concert. Uh, not knowing at all that that concert was being made into this iconic film, uh, Chuck Berry's Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, uh, directed by Taylor Hackford. Yeah. Uh, absolutely amazing film. Yeah, amazing. Uh, it was a celebration of Chuck Berry's 60th birthday yeah. back in 1987. My dad got me in there because my dad was still you know, doing what he did, that bit that with the thing with the knee and, and the, the phone, yeah, with, the, with the guitar and the whole thing. Chuck was, uh, Chuck was at it. St. Louis's, uh, like I said, St. Louis's Fox Theater was a fantastic uh, performance. Everybody was there. Eric Clapton, Robert Cray, uh, Julian Lennett, Linda Ronstadt. Interesting Linda Ronstadt mm. was there because our next film 
is Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice. This is a wonderful, beautiful, beautiful film. All the more poignant because Linda, of course, is suffering from Parkinson's now. And can't Uh, really but she sings in this, and she she doesn't like to sing anymore, and she sings in it. They got Uh, her to do it. And and, and her voice is this extraordinary. We forget that Linda Ronstadt, uh, Latina. Yeah. Um, um, And she sang in every possible genre. She won 10 Grammy Awards. She topped the charts in every one of those genres, yeah. pop music, country music. Uh, she's just a, this extraordinary figure. So diverse. Oh. And, and, and she, you know, because of her upbringing, because of her, her background, she, she combines all kinds of cultural influences, and she could do anything. Yeah, yeah. She could do anything. She had just those great... And she was so... People forget how pioneering she was for women in the music industry. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and she was extraordinary. A guitar player, yeah. but her voice was perfectly exquisite. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is poignant, very sweet, a little bit sad, but it's a, but it's a fantastic history of an extraordinary woman yeah. uh, in the music industry. Uh, this, um, this Morgan Spur- Spurlock movie, Supersize Me 2, uh, yeah. uh, you know what, look, Morgan. I think it was 2000, whatever it was, 15, 20 years ago, yeah. the movie, Supersized Me, the first and, one. And his other movies haven't really matched it, so he felt you know, the need to kind of go back to the well Dip again. into the well. This one's about the chicken business. What he does is he, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the years since that first movie, all kinds of claims have been made yeah. about how we've you know, fixed the fat food, and everything's organic, everything's yeah. healthy, nothing has gluten in it anymore. So he's more or less investigating whether or not a lot of that stuff is true. Uh, here he, he sets up his own sort of uh, chicken uh, franchise. Yeah, he's, he's, he's trying to start a fast food franchise. Franchise mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, he he runs afoul of a lot of people, yeah. but a foul, a foul. <laughs> very good, uh, made sir. a joke. Uh, but uh, but it, it is it is uh, it, he wants it to be an honest fast food franchise. He's going to yeah. tell you exactly what you're eating, and so he so goes to the farm where they farm yeah. the poultry and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And uh, I suppose he, deci- he he figures out that it's not really it's, possible. It, what, what he discovers about the poultry industry is very very upsetting. It I really say is. That. <laughs> it, it, apart from all the sort of self-aggrandizing shtick that he does, uh, you find it it basically turns out that the poultry business is like modern day sharecropping. Yeah, and these poor chicken farmers are screwed. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're in, the, they're, they're in these extremely severe contracts uh, yeah. that uh, lead them to grand amounts of debt. Yep. Uh, and while gigantic companies like Tyson and you know many of the ones that you've heard of yep. make bil- billions upon billions of dollars, it's also the issue of what happens to these actual chickens. Uh, and you know, and, and we feel the way that we feel about these things. I'm not for abusing any kind of an animal, even if I'm going to eat yeah. it later. Uh, so, so, so there's that thing that's going on, and then there's also the issue of what they're putting in these chickens. True, uh, steroids and this and that, and, and what is actually what does it mean when something says it's organic? That doesn't actually mean anything, folks. No. Um, so anyway, uh, interesting in that way, but it's a it's a bit of a dip. Back to the old well. I found this film here, um, this 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 A.V. Belkin film. Mike Wallace is in here is here. Absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, so Mike Wallace is Mike Wallace over fifty years as a journalist uh, and an interesting sort of character in, in and of himself. Uh, Mike didn't start out as a legit journalist. Uh, he was a pitch man and a host of morning shows and a uh, you know he, he, he came sit, into it sideways. He came into it sideways. He yeah. would sit there smoking cigarettes and t- you know talking yeah. to. To, to, to light artists, and before you know it, he ends up talking to, interviewing, engaging with mo- some of the, all of the most important figures of the 20th century anyway. Um, uh, political figures, uh, uh, you name it, Mike Wallace said across from them, he became known for being uh, an aggressive interviewer. Uh, who would ask uh, the hard questions. In this documentary, we see a young-ish Donald Trump sitting across from Mike Wallace. Mm. Hard to reconcile the, the Donald Trump in this film. Yeah, uh, We're talking late 
uh, late seventies, early eighties. Late seventies, sure. Um, uh, with the Donald Trump that we're dealing with today, uh, just sort of reasonable, not bad looking, uh, <laughs> uh, this, you know, guy uh, taking punches from Mike Wallace and 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 seemingly just letting it all sort of roll off. Uh, that sort of change. You know what I've always found most interesting about mm. Mike Wallace mm. is that for years I did not know that Chris Wallace was his son. Oh, you didn't for years. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize that until maybe the middle nineties. I remember seeing a televised co- uh, conversation between the two of them, and it was fascinating because it they cl- it was it was like it not it wasn't hostile. Oh. but it was competitive. Oh, yeah. They plainly don't like. For one thing, uh, Mike Wallace did not raise Chris Wallace. One of the things yeah. we learned in this yeah. documentary is that yeah. Mike Wallace was a fairly awful father. Yeah, uh, and he had a tragedy. Of course, he lost a young son, or, or yeah, he lost a, a a son, an adult son, yeah. in a horrible accident uh, uh, in, in Greece. Uh, uh, and nevertheless, he he did not raise his son. Chris Wallace, of course, is the is the news uh, director at yeah. uh, at Fox News on the yeah. news side, not the editorial yeah. side, uh, whom we know now. He's probably the one reasonable human being. Uh, now that Shepard is gone uh, from oh, Fox, yeah, uh, been, yeah, yeah. So, but on the news side at Fox, so uh, fascinating. There, they do a thing in this in this uh, in this doc that I like a lot. So obviously, Chris was interviewing a number of extremely important people over the course of all of those years. Back then, television was more or less square that one three three aspect ratio. Yeah. So what they can do in this film uh, is that they can take the person that 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 Mike is interviewing and the angle on Mike. It would have been a two camera shoot, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they put them side by side in our 16 by 9 frame that we have now. So yeah. now we're watching Mike while we're watching uh, the person that Mike is interviewing. Uh, and it's so fascinating to watch Mike's face when he asks one of those questions that yeah. he's known for asking. Yeah. To watch his face as we're watching their face as they try to figure out or weasel away from, from Andrew. Mm. And very often there's this ever so slightly smug smirk on Mike's face when he knows he's put the shiv in. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just interesting, because you've never seen that side of it That's before. That's true. You know? and, 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 and it's an interesting thing. Um, really, really great piece for, um, uh, for, films, uh, for fans of journalism. Special feature includes some deleted scenes. Got a couple of other really great docs here. One uh, was released a few years ago. It's called Water and Sugar, Carlo Di Palma, The Colors of Life. Colors spelled the UK way with O-U-R-S. Water and Sugar. Uh, this is the this is a documentary purely about purely about cinematographer Carlo Di Palma, best known here probably for working with Woody Allen, but uh, internationally did a lot of great films with Antonioni and and and, uh, and Bertolucci, Vim Vendors, really an amazing cinematographer. Um, and uh, this is just a tribute to his work and the richness of of how he was as a collaborator and working with film, especially. It's just absolutely beautiful. The uh, the Italian tradition in cinematography is second to almost none, and what a what a wonderful wonderful tribute this is. Uh, obviously, all the relevant people are interviewed here: Woody Allen, Bertolucci before he passed away, yeah. Ken Loach, Vim Vendors, Volker Schlondorf. It's really a, a beautiful film. Water oh, and good. Sugar. Just uh, this is this is if you love movies about filmmaking and film people and and uh, and just the business in general, you'll love it. This is one I have a very special uh, part, place in my heart for. It's called That Pert Feeling, The Universe of Arvo Pert. Uh, when I say Pert, it is spelled like part, P-A-R-T, with two dots over the A. Arvo Pert, uh, it's called That Pert Feeling. Arvo Pert is, is probably the most famous uh, living composer right now in the world. He is Estonian. 
never really left Estonia. He lives there still, but journeys to Germany and elsewhere to uh, participate in the staging and, and uh, or the performances of his music and concerts. Um, his music is minimalist. It is pre-Philip Glass in that sense, but it is also very spiritual. He's a devout Orthodox Christian, and um, there's, a, there's a, r- a religious quality to his music. You have surely heard it. It shows up in movies yeah. all the time, especially uh, in Terrence Malick movies. There's co- tons of Arvo Parrott music in Terrence Malick's movies. And um, you see him here. He's interviewed. His, his uh, collaborators and acolytes are interviewed. You see him working with students, to helping people stage his, uh, his music, you know, finding the right way to perform it. And he's such a sweet man. Yeah. He's, I think, late 70s, early 80s now. And uh, he's such a sweet man. He's so gentle. He's so uh, appreciative and humble and not at all um, in any way transformed by his fame or his success. He just It's all about the music. It's a beautiful documentary. I can't say enough about it. If you haven't heard his music, I really highly recommend it. That Pert Feeling, The Universe of Arvo Pert. All right. Uh, let's drop into some new movies. One, uh, I'm going to start off with the 4Ks. Let okay. me roll through the 4Ks because we uh, we have a lot of big movies here that are in uh, going to be in Oscar contention. At least one that will be in significant Oscar contention. And that is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh. Uh, which is out in a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray digital copy combo set pumping into your digital, your uh, Movies Anywhere account. And watch it on uh, iTunes or anything else like I have several times. The 4K is spectacular. This film was shot in film uh, by, by uh, Robert Richardson. Amazing job. You know what? This movie gets better every time I watch it. Yeah. yeah it's I, two yeah. hours and 40 minutes long, and I've, I've seen it four times now. And it gets better every single time. It might wind up being my favorite film of the year in another two weeks. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to win Best Picture, hands down. You think so? I do. I don't think there's any question. Interesting. Because the, uh, Scorsese's already won for the uh, for, for the he, he's already won. The Irishman will not win because no. it's too long yeah. and it's Netflix yeah. and there's a bias against Netflix. And he already won one for The uh, the Departed. Plus it's cr- crushingly so, boring, but go on. Okay, Tarantino has only won two awards for screenplay. He's never won Best Director. Mm-hmm. He's never won Best Picture. He's due. This is it. He's threatening to only make one more film. Yeah. If that's true, they only have two more chances to give it to him. Why not give it to him for a movie movie? Yeah, yeah It's about yeah. filmmaking. It, it's, it's funny. I'm thinking of what would be its sort of principal competition uh, for that. Pa- best Parasite and The Irishman. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the, those are the three films. Parasite is foreign. It's it's going to lose a lot of votes just because, because of it's going to pick it. Yeah, they're both they're all three long. Yeah, I mean, Parasite is actually the longest. This is the shortest of them. Yeah. So, um, you know, Parasite is like two it's hours interesting. Of, I think you might be right. You you, yeah. you might be onto something there. So uh, this will win just because Quentin has played it right. He's been you know apart from that little Bruce Lee dust up with Shannon Lee. Yeah. Okay. So what? That's a small part of the film, and uh, I think I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to do it. And the extras are fantastic. The extras are wonderful. Including, uh, what is it, 20 minutes or something of uh, additional? Additional uh, stuff, yeah. I mean, there are some great featurettes uh, all about, you know, with Robert Richardson doing the cinematography and, you know, the, the crane work and the set, uh, set des- uh, the art direction and the set design is fantastic. And, you know, it's great seeing him sit there with all of his actors, including Margot Robbie, and talk about, you know, when you get that perfect take, then just do one more. Let's just do one more, everybody, <laughs> because, and they all smile, and at the same time, they all chime in. 
we love making movies. <laughs> and you realize Quentin just, he infects everybody with yeah. love for the process. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Uh, also out is It Chapter 2. Not as good as It Chapter 1, but only because those kids aren't in it. Those kids were yeah. amazing. Yeah, and this now movie is about, the, about those kids, but as grown-ups. As grown-ups. This yeah. is the second part of it, if you, if you know the story. But i got to be honest, uh, Andy Muschietti, hell of a director. This guy really knows how to put a movie mm -hmm. together. The commentary is terrific. Mm -hmm. I, one of the best commentaries I've heard in a long time. Uh, and uh, is Stephen King really, this captures Stephen King beautifully. Fantastic. A lot of featurettes. Uh, additional documentaries. If you already have the, uh, the the previous 4K, get it. This film is a beautiful film to look at. It is fantastic. Um, Hustlers 4K. Uh, I'm not as enamored of this film as uh, a lot of other people are. We gave Jennifer Lopez our supporting actress award. Mm -hmm. I, I I guess. Um, oh, you she's know, great in that movie. She she is good, but is she's, the movie is yeah. the movie good? Yeah, well, yeah, the movie's okay. It's based on that uh, true story of you know these, yeah. these these strippers and what went down with the, some of the guys that they were dealing with the club, and you know eventually it all sort of went south on them. Um, um, uh, yeah, yeah, is the movie fantastic? No, the movie's okay. Jennifer, yeah. Jennifer though, I thought brought if one thing yeah, that that chick's fifty. I know. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Gonna give you an award just for that. <laughs> Well, it it does look good. There's a lot of low light photography here Aqua, in the club. Who, now who's in that movie? Is it Aquafina? Uh, no, it's Constance Wu. Constance Wu. She was also yeah. in Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean the performances are good. I'm not so keen on the movie, but there it, it does look good on 4K and uh, not many, not much by way of uh, of features. But there is a commentary by Lorraine Scafaria who directed it, which is pretty good. Um, few other 4K releases here, some, most of them negligible. Rambo Last Blood is just straight up terrible. Uh, <laughs> it really is. This it, he's just got to stop it now. No more Rambo, no more no more Rocky. Just do something else, man. Direct somebody else. You're a good director. Just step behind the camera. Do what Clint does. Yeah. Just just own your age and mm -hmm. say I'm going to direct other people in the movie. You don't need to be the movie star anymore, dude. Yeah. Uh, but Stallone went and made Rambo Last Blood, and uh, it is way beyond Last Blood. It's it's basically trying to do the First Blood thing all over again. But, you know, it's like a border thing and with all kinds of Hispanic stereotypes. And, you know, he's he's a man making a stand, and it just it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Can't recommend that one. Uh, also got Angel Has Fallen, the latest Gerard Butler crisis where – he and Morgan Freeman. He must have, have made a hell of a deal, man. He, man they must I'll just be you. pouring money on him to make those dumbass he, movies. He and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. They must just be swimming in money. Nick Nolte, Jada Smith, and Danny Houston also show up to suck up the budget of this just stupid <laughs> movie. Um, yeah, it's just like how many assassination attempts and international geopolitical crises can this one guy <laughs> I'm save sorry. the United States from, or London, or, or wherever, London, yeah, or whatever? Yeah. It's just absolutely outrageous. Uh, poor Morgan Freeman, man. His presidency is the most beleaguered U.S. presidency in history. Everywhere he goes is a crisis. <laughs> so stupid. I, I preferred it when he played God all the time. Ah, oh, so silly. Um, you know, look if you love it, 4K, fine. Why not? Uh, Abominable in 4K. Looks great. This is another one of those creepy DreamWorks animated movies that yeah. takes basically the facial features of uh, Toothless from uh, How to Train Your Dragon and turns it into an abominable snowman. And it's freaky weird. Look at that thing. Yeah. It doesn't look right. It's yep. also not a very good Looks movie. Looks just like Toothless. It's not a very good movie, but it tries hard. And it's got a couple of shorts that are pretty cute and some stuff on animating the movie and, and whatnot. But... Uh, you know, otherwise, uh, unless your kids are clamoring for it, I wouldn't recommend that one. 
But I would recommend this, which I think has not gotten enough praise this year. Uh, it got kind of dumped on by some people. But Brad Pitt in Ad Astra by yeah, James Gray. I liked it. Full disclosure, James Gray, I've known for 30-some years uh, when he was, a, he was a film student at USC. And a lot of my friends were at USC. He was there with Matt Reeves and Brian Burke and a lot of other people that I know. That's how I know him. And uh, I, I love James's filmmaking. I think this might be his best film. It is effectively taking elements of 2001 and elements of uh, Apocalypse Now and merging them into a father-son narrative um, that is one of the most interesting science fiction films I've ever seen. And I think it's really well done, incredibly profound, very polished. James knows how to put a movie together, and uh, I, I, it's one of the best things. Opening sequences of that movie is absolutely thrilling. It's riveting. You know, it's you're not going to give anything away, but you know, yeah, it's just it is. It's it's incredible. No, this is a this is a superb film, and it is of all the films we talked about on 4K. This is the one you're going to get the most out of on 4K, even more than uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is just absolutely superb. By the way, speaking of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, that that special edition that they sent us. Oh yeah, the yeah, box. It yeah. didn't get it. We didn't give it any awards as a result, but I was damn near close to it. It's got a forty-five record in it. Yeah. It's got like a comic <laughs> book, a mad comic. It's incredible. Oh yeah, it's totally worth it. But uh, Ad Astra also totally worth it. Uh, James Gray does a ton of stuff on here. He's really really working it. Does uh, does a commentary that is absolutely superb. Um, tons of featurettes. And uh, deleted scenes with a commentary as well that is really insightful. You get a great uh, sense of his process. But, man, what a, what a terrific movie. Ad Astra, wonderful, wonderful film. Great effects. Some of the, and practical effects, too. It's not yeah. all CG. Yeah. Great practical effects. Good stuff. Uh, a little bit of new stuff? Yeah. Uh, this um, a little horror film, Ready or Not, I, it really should have gotten a little bit more... Traction a little bit more mm-hmm. low because it's a wicked nasty, a lot of fun little little horror movie, uh, starring this young actress named uh, Samara Weaving who's like a even younger Margot Robbie. Yeah. she has Margot's face. She's fantastic in this movie. She's a young woman marrying to this very very rich family, uh, and this rich family has all kinds of wacky things they do, including this one particular uh, ritual that they go through where they play a game that's sort of like hide or seek. Uh, in their big gigantic mansion over the course of this one year. It was originally movie. called Hide and Seek. It was originally that called was the Hide and Seek. It was. Of the movie, yeah. And, uh, and uh, we, we, we soon come to find out that this game in, in, it involves a whole lot of uh, people getting killed and, uh, and pretty much all of them trying to kill her. And it's all about what she has to do to survive this evening, uh, you know, past midnight. Uh, this was fun to me uh, and, uh, and, 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 and better amongst the sort of devilishly wicked uh, uh, kill count movies that uh, we've seen. Uh, anyway, and, and like I said, I just fantastically love her. Uh, this Blu-ray contains all kinds of special features, including the making of and a gag reel and an audio commentary uh, and, uh, and, and uh, an interview with Samara. Uh, really, really, really neat. Uh, ready or not, a uh, wicked little horror movie. Downton Abbey onto the big screen. Uh, was, I thought that this was a perfectly enjoyable big screen rendition of the lovely uh, British series Downton Abbey. Basically, what you have are I the love family. this movie. It was really good. Yeah. You have the family and, of course, all the folks. You know, I, look, I was always an upstairs, downstairs kind of guy myself. But nevertheless, uh, and the, the king and queen are coming to visit. And this has to do with the house staff and the queen's uh, staff and uh, a bit of intrigue going on with some folks who might be interested in doing harm to someone. Uh, But all the characters are there and all their iconic roles uh, up to the present moment of the period. Uh, It's really smart. Uh, I I like the way it includes the the history 
of the period there. I like the politics that play out in this film a little bit, too. The film gets a little bit political. I think that's interesting. But it's basically Downton Abbey, the Downton Abbey that you know, uh, played out on the big screen. All kinds of bonus features here, including deleted scenes, the old sort of upstairs, downstairs cast conversation uh, business, uh, a, a, a walk through the 20s, uh, uh, the brilliance of Julian Fellows, uh, commentary with him, and a commentary from the director of this film, Michael Engler. Fantastic. Good stuff. Can't go wrong down, Fabby. It's, it's just so good. You know, I, it, it, at least Renee's performance in this movie, Judy, yeah. I wish we got a little bit more love. Yeah, you like it more than I do. Renee's performance is what I like about this movie. Yeah. It's a fragile performance. I think she gets something right about Julie Gardner. Now, she, she, she's I, doing her own singing. Uh, and, yeah, and, and that's and, a problem. And, well, yeah, she, looks, she doesn't sound like Julie yeah. Gardner. Julie Gardner had that Julie Gardner voice. But she does get that sort of fragility thing going. That yeah. sort of uh, feeling that you had. This is, a, of course, about the last, what is it, year in Judy Gardner's life? Yeah, it was, it was so. around the last year or two of her life. But, but you know, it was when, after she, she uh, broke up with... Uh, uh, yeah, with Luft, yeah. and, and she was sort of a single mom, and then she went and did those those shows in England to to try to re reboot her career. And yeah, and she, did actually, you know, they, did, they, they, it was a very she, successful run. She's singing drunk which, and she's drinking, falling and, apart during the whole, you know, the whole and, period. Yeah, you know, taking up with that piano player boy. Yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, it it you know, it's it's what a wreck her life was at this stage. And there are some flashbacks to when she was. A girl and getting screwed over by uh, by Sam Goldwyn and, right you know, during the during drugs. the shooting of the Wizard of Oz yeah uh, which which was you know that was some really intense stuff there you yeah know, him sort of lording over the young yeah. uh, Julie Garland and, and what went on there but again you know I, I I thought I think they thought we'd be talking about this I was a big fan of, of her performance. Um, in the film, the film's okay too. Uh, it's not yeah. a, it's not a, it's not an award winning sort of film, no. but it's a perfectly it's perfectly um, serviceable yeah. sort of drama. Uh, Dora and the Lost City of Go. I went to see uh, this movie for the radio show. Live action Dora. <laughs> yeah, live action exist. Dora. Look, it was kind of funny, pretty goofy. The young woman who plays Dora in the movie, I kind of I kind of thoroughly enjoyed her. Uh, because she really encapsulated uh, the, the thought of uh, her name is Madeline Miranda, uh, who, uh, the thought of uh, transference of that cartoon with the big wide eyes and all of this stuff right onto that live screen, and she is doing Dora as deeply as Dora can be done. Now she's been doing Dora for years. This young actress, uh, she does uh, play, plays Dora's voice in all of those films, so she really has a sense uh, for that. But this is a silly movie that really, really young kids, really young kids might find fun. Uh, and it was certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. But again, this is pointed at little bitty kids, for sure. Um, Mary uh, was this fairly disturbing film from Gary Oldman and uh, Emily Mortimer. Uh, basically, it's about this family that buy this boat. Uh, actually, it's, it's Gary Oldman's character, the father, who buys this boat. They got a couple of kids uh, because he wants to run it. He wants to start a charting service. Uh, Emily Mortimer, his wife, uh, is livid about this, and, and, uh, and, and uh, he spent all the money, has no idea how to sail, really, uh, and, uh, and it's probably going to destroy the family. Turns out, boats haunted. They're on a haunted boat. Yeah. That's always a mess when that happens. Anyway, uh, the movie sort of wanders around and meanders quite a bit, gets pretty vicious toward the end there. Next thing you know, almost everybody's dead. Uh, and Emily Mortimer was right. You shouldn't have bought that damn boat, Gary Oldman. Uh, it's from the writer and director of that movie, The Shallows, which is actually a pretty oh, good yeah. movie. Not, Shallows is not, good. Yeah, but this one, not nearly as well. Not nearly as good. Special features include a making of... Uh, little documentary thing there. You got some? Yeah, I got some. Reindeer's Journey. Dove approved. 
this is uh, Donald Sutherland narrates. It's kind of one of those nature documentaries like Ring of Bright Water and yeah. Born Free. And, you know, we had a lot of those back in the The Bear is, a, is another one, the Jean-Jacques Hano film from more recently. Uh, anyway, this is basically about a you know a little little baby uh, reindeer who's got to go join mom on an odyssey through the snow in Finland. And meanwhile, Donald Sutherland gives you the narration. It's cute. It's fine. It's sweet. It's innocuous. It's uh, you know eighty six minutes long, and that's longer than it should be. But it, you know for for this kind of film, it doesn't take any risks and doesn't need to. Uh, Blinded by the Light was a, a, a little bit underrated um, movie. I I thought it didn't. I don't think it got as much love as it should have. Uh, Grinder Chada, uh, whom I've met and with whom I have some common friends, who did um, uh, Bend It Like Beckham, uh, basically uh, kind of tells a little bit of well it's it's her ba- it's a it's a combination of things really um it's her background uh, coupled sort of superimposed on the story of the screenwriter um Sarfraz Manzoor who um it's based on his book and his own experience as a young Pakistani man in the UK who falls in love with Bruce Springsteen and who finds uh, all kinds of Bruce Springsteen movie uh, Bruce Springsteen's music kind of gives him uh, he discovers life through it, and it, it, it's just he develops this obsession with Springsteen, and it's all based on that very un. And that, of course, creates all kinds of cultural friction. And you know, where does he belong? He's a Pakistani guy. He's subject to all kinds of racist uh, judgment. He's got a white friend who's trying to be a musician as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff in here. It's not as good as Yesterday, which mm. came out around the same time, which is a fantasy mm. uh, because Yesterday deals with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Springsteen doesn't have the same weight as the Beatles. Yeah. But for what it is, Blinded by the Light is, is, quite, a, is quite a fun memoir, and it's done really, really it, – it's, it's very, very sweet. And uh, Grinder did a good job with it. It's also a romance, also, you know, with a, with a young British girl, as you would expect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Overcomer is a, is a faith-based film. Uh, from the Kendrick Brothers, it is uh, it's pretty much by the numbers faith based filmmaking. Uh, doesn't really uh, doesn't really do anything that's all that different. Uh, Alex Kendrick um, is a um, is is a is a is a coach. Who? How do I even do this without kind of giving anything away? Um, there, there's a, it's, it's a, it's a, well, it's a coach's story, basically, is what it is, uh, and uh, it's all about a, you know, do, once you hit rock bottom, how do you pull out of it again? And you know, it's the same trajectory that all these films really usually do. It's got some good performances in it, a lot of special features, uh, commentary from the Kendrick brothers, but uh, otherwise, you know, it's not, it's not unique in the genre. Uh, Where'd you go, Bernadette, with Kate Blanchett? Really should have gotten a lot more attention as well. This is a um, and actually a, a, a pretty novel uh, adaptation of a book that I would have expected to be completely unadaptable. Um, Richard Linklater directed it. He just makes more movies than anybody can keep up with. It's a bit of a quirky story about a woman who played by, played by Kate Blanchett who had a career as an architect and married an architect and then suspended her career. And she was the, the daughter of a famous architect. And, you know, or her husband isn't an architect, but she married a tech guy and suspended her architecture career so that they could have a family. Mm. But now she's left all of this work undone, and there's, you know, sort of these obsessions that gnaw at her. And she goes off on a wander 
and the family's got to try to catch up with her and, and figure out what she, you know, has she lost her mind? Is she going crazy? Uh, have we lost mom? What are we going to do? And Billy Crudup plays her husband, and uh, it, what a sweet film it winds up being. It goes to just a really beautiful place. It go, I won't tell you where it goes to figuratively or literally, but it goes to a really beautiful place. Kate Blanchett just runs away from her family, and um, eventually everything turns out beautifully. American Dreamer, basically an indie version of Taxi Driver starring Jim Gaffigan. He's, uh, he's unstable. He's, uh, he's an Uber driver, and uh, he's got a kid and an ex-wife, and he's trying to juggle all of these things, and he's a, a psychological mess. And it goes dark, and it goes darker, and it goes really dark and never comes back. And I didn't particularly like the movie. I thought it was exploitative on a lot of levels that it didn't need to be. It was kind of obvious. At the same time, Jim Gaffigan kills it. Mm. So it's a little bit like uh, Uncut Gems, where even if the movie's unpleasant, you can't help but sort of admire the performance in the middle of it. Yeah, Jim's, Jim has a way of playing those extremely you know, funny guys, yeah. comedian. Yeah. He, he can play these sort of edgy, scary guys sometimes. Uh, and then we've got uh, Lucky Day is, um, you know, it is what it is. It's, uh, it's from Roger Avery, who, of course, won an Oscar for writing one of the stories in Pulp Fiction that Quentin Tarantino optioned from him. They were old friends. They worked at the video store together. So Avery has kind of kept his career going in the, in the shadow of Quentin for a few years. And uh, he's done some good movies, thing, things like Killing Zoe, which, are, which, which have a certain sheen of their own. But um, I, don't, I don't find much to like in Lucky Day. I think it's just kind of uh, – it's just sort of more of the same that we've gotten from him. He hasn't evolved like Quentin has evolved. Mm. It's, uh, you know, you got just a lot of really unusual characters. It's a little bit like uh, uh, Three Days in the Valley. Oh yeah, with with more violence. Uh, Hertzville film. Yeah, 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 it's a little or two days in the valley. Two, two days, days in the valley. valley yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Crispin Glover just plays weird here, and uh, Nina Dobrev is good, but uh, you know, uh, it just it doesn't quite work. Um, you know, I mean, he, Crispin Glover's a hitman. How many mm. times have we seen that? It's like yeah. what he did in Charlie's Angels. Yeah, with that it's face. Not, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, not really, not really into it. I think everybody deserves a better movie there. The Goldfinch. Great novel, horrible movie. Everybody hated this. Uh, it went nowhere. It's out on Blu-ray for those who care about it. But, uh, you know, um, Ansel Elgort and uh, Nicole Kidman and Jeffrey Wright and everybody who's in this, Finn Wolfhard, they have all done much better work. Uh, the if, if you like the novel, do not watch the movie because it will just wreck your memory of it. <laughs> uh, I, I knock off a few of these, yeah. uh, a, few, a few more films here. Official Secrets. This was an... An interesting film. It's not a very. It's an interesting film in the, in the way that it documents this little yeah. bit of history. Uh, Kira Knightley, uh, Matt Smith, uh, uh, Michael Good, Ralph Fiennes, telling the story uh, of this uh, UK whistleblower, British intelligence officer. Her name is Catherine Gunn. Uh, th this all happened back in around 2000, uh, 2001, two thousand one, two three, yeah. right before the start of the of that particular war, and she discovered a transmission that illustrated that there was a secret spying program going on and a plan uh, between the UK and the United States governments to blackmail several smaller countries in the UN into mm. voting for 
uh, that Iraq war. Mm. In other words, into going to war yeah. based on uh, trumped-up circumstances, and she blows the whistle. Mm. Um, uh, st a story is published in The Observer. Uh, of course, what the intelligence agency tries to do is figure out yeah. uh, who the whistleblower is. Interesting, sure. interesting in the context of some of the things that we're living through now. Who's the whistleblower? Who's the in this particular interest, Gunn came forward as the whistleblower and then was subjected to, uh, you know, a, a trial. It was a catch-22 that she found herself in. She's going to be uh, prosecuted for being a whistleblower, uh, um, but she wasn't allowed to talk about what it was that she blew the whistle on. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it, it was Catch-22. What, what happens is fairly interesting. It's a nice little piece of history. Uh, in terms of filmmaking, look, it's, it's not exactly all the president's men or anything like that. It's, uh, it attempts to create that sort of tension. Uh, but that sort of tension really can't be created with this story um, some 17, 18 years on. Uh, nevertheless, um, it's, a, not, like I said, a nice little bit of history, particularly enjoyed Kira Knightley in the film, uh, official secrets based on the true story. Here's a fun little horror mo movie for you. I particularly like Omar Epps in this movie from the director of Bloody Valentine. It's called Trick. Uh, interesting film, Halloween night, 1915. This killer called Trick. Uh, kills a whole bunch of classmates at this costume party. Uh, he, he, he gets Ew. arrested, he escapes from police, and he's killed by this police officer. Shot, dead, or so we think, until the uh. next Halloween. And the same kind of killings start happening again, and they happen Halloween after Halloween. Yeah. So we have this cop played by Mike Epps who's going to figure out what the hell is going on. Is this guy still alive? Did Mike kill him? Uh, is there something su supernatural here? This is what I like about this movie. Mike Epps. Not Mike Epps, Omar Epps. I keep Omar. saying Mike Epps. I'm sorry about that, Mike. Or maybe I'm sorry about that, Omar. I don't know. <laughs> uh, 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 Omar Epps. Omar Epps is so mature in this film. He looks mature. He has this mm -hmm. sort of beard with a little bit of gray in it. You know, he's a dark-skinned brother with yeah. a bald head. And he has these sort of weary eyes. And it really all plays so mm -hmm. wonderfully in this movie. It's just, it's just this cop who thought that he put this guy down right. years ago, but he just keeps coming back and he keeps coming back. Making of, uh, uh, of the film featurette on the back of that there. Feast of the Seven Fishes. I remember watching this film uh, I, for, for Film Week mm, yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. And I got to tell you, I fell into this dead gum charming ass film. <laughs> Set happens. in 1983. It happens, it happens sometimes, you know. Set it during happens. the holidays, 1983. I'm living all, all in my yeah. head in 1983 in the holidays. This wonderful little Italian family celebrating this uh, old traditional Italian hol um, holiday uh, tradition uh, called the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And we are following around this guy through 1983. And I'm looking at all these 1975 and 78 Camaros. Because if you were Italian in New York in 1983, you were probably driving a 1975 Camaro. You were if you were totally cool true. anyway. My aunt was. Uh, <laughs> for because sure. I told her to. Yeah, because that's the car you yeah. want to be driving. Uh, and with all of these folks, it's a really, really funny, sweet film. Uh, I don't know if it will become a holiday classic, but if you were to see it around the holidays, it would definitely tap into something for you. Audio commentary with the director, Robert Tennell, here behind the scenes of the movie. Just a sweet little movie. Uh, Joey Pants. Yeah. Joey Pants in this movie. Can't go wrong with Joey Pants. Can't. I'm pretty sure Joey Pants is about 150 years old. It, it feels like it, right? He Joey Pants, look at his IMDb. It goes back to the freaking 60s. Yeah, it does. It's you know, crazy. and he wasn't a kid in those movies in the no. 60s. Yeah, Joey Pantaleon is who I'm talking He's about. So Joey good. Pants. This movie, Freaks, did not quite work. It's a horror movie, hero, superhero movie kind of thing. Emil Hirsch, Bruce Dern, 
uh, in the movie. Amanda Crew in the movie, a little girl named Grace Park in this movie. We have this little girl, and she's being hidden by her father, kept from going outside. She's six, seven years old, has not been outside her whole entire life because she's been told that there are these things outside, these, these abominables uh, that will hurt you if you go outside. But she keeps getting drawn outside by uh, all of these uh, dreams and uh, mm. little nightmares that she's having. And she really, really wants to go outside, and she eventually does. And what she finds out, that there are uh, all kinds of creatures with supernatural powers and whatnot. This is, you know what the problem of this movie was? Mm. It played coy with what's going on. You watch mm. this movie for no, 45 minutes, and you, and, and you want to go like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? And then you find out what's going on. And the thing that's going on, there was no reason to play coy with. That's the mistake of this movie. Yeah. If they had just got right to it and told you what's going on and then just w go ahead and make the movie you want to make, uh, uh, these two boys, um, uh, this, is, this is an audition movie. Yeah, these guys, these 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 guys want to make a Marvel film or a DC film or and something like that. And they probably will. And they probably point. will. They know how they know how to do all the tricks. There's yeah. eventually this whole thing going on that has to do with supernatural powers, the little girl, all this kind of stuff going on. So they can do all these sort of supernatural power things. They they're pretty good at that stuff. Uh, but you know, just get to it, guys. Just just write the story, write the script, and get to it. Quit quit jerking us around. Bonus features, director's commentary, behind the scenes, all that kind of stuff. Emil Hirsch, uh, don't see a lot from him lately. But he is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep, he is. He's great. Yep. Who's he playing? He's playing uh, Sebring. Yeah, he plays Jay Sebring. The, 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 the uh, hairdresser. And he does a great job of it, too. Yeah. He's really good. I could not remember for the life of me. I, uh, Charles Manson's name, they were on the show. Yeah. And something came up, and, uh, and, and a killer. Uh, I, can, I'm, I can only say, you know, the guy in 1969 who killed all the people up in the house. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, just, I'm like, well, how could I not remember Charles Manson? Because when you, when, you when you are on radio, your brain goes, a mile a minute, and you're always, you know, 20 seconds, 20 yeah. steps ahead of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, gonna nail, yeah. knock off some Criterions. Man, a bunch of Criterion stuff came out since we were on the, we did the show last. Uh, one month goes by, and Criterion just goes nuts. Number one, we want to talk about their their volume one thousand Godzilla set. The, <laughs> they they chose the epic one for their one thousandth uh, uh, release. And it is 15 Godzilla movies on one set. It's it's shaped like a coffee table book. Tim, this is a coffee table book. Yes, that's what it looks like. It's like a slightly narrow coffee table book size, but all the discs are inside, plus a booklet and all this other stuff. But 15 movies, starting with the original Godzilla in 1954. A very good movie, let me point out. Godzilla Raids Again, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Invasion of the Astro Monster, uh, Ibira, Horror of the Deep, Son of Godzilla, Destroy All Monsters, which is one of my all-time favorites, All Monsters Attack, Godzilla vs. Hedera, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and lastly, the 1975 Ishiro Honda-directed Terror of Mechagodzilla, which is ridiculous. <laughs> the, it, it truly is. I mean, this goes from the 50s right into the 70s. Tons of great stuff on here. Uh, they've got international uh, English language dub tracks for, for all the ones that are relevant. Um, audio commentaries for, for a few of these featuring David Collat, who we've talked about before. I, I, I know David. He's a good guy. does great commentaries. Um, beautiful transfers, all of them Blu-rays. And uh, there's even an interview with Alex Cox, who for some reason is a Godzilla fan, and I never knew that. And it's <laughs> weird. It's weird, but somehow I watch Repo Man, and now I understand why why uh, Alex Cox was, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I see it. I yeah. see it. I see it in his work. 
And of course, the the book itself is is quite a thing. It's got essays and uh, uh, illustrations, and it's it's just this is I mean this is an amazing collection. It's just an amazing thing to have. Um, other Criterion releases, no less impressive. The Oscar-nominated Cold War by Pavel Pawlikowski is wonderful. Uh, if you haven't seen this, this is basically a romance, a tragic Dr. Zhivago-type romance set against the backdrop of the, the Cold War. Yeah. And so beautiful in black and white. So beautiful. Oppression under communism, this, this, this doomed couple, and, you know, do we keep our love? I mean, he's, you know, he's a theater guy, and, and do, does he flee to the West and leave her behind, or do they go together? I mean, it's, a, it's all, that, all that stuff. It's really, it plays it out so beautifully. It's such a perfect film. Tons of fantastic extras on here, including the press conference from the 2018 Film Festival, which is absolutely excellent. Uh, if you've ever been to those press conferences, they can go south or they can go great. And <laughs> this one goes great. Also on the foreign end, Betty Blue from 1996, the director-approved special edition, uh, Betty Blue by Jean-Jacques Benex. This is the film that introduced the world to Beatrice Dahl, whose romance, whose Faded romance with Jean Hugues Anglade in this is, you know, right up there with uh, Last Tango in Paris and all, you know, and all of the great erotic doomed romance movies. This is really one of the best. Um, I have a, I have a, a wonderful story. I'm going to tell very quickly. So Jean Jacques Benex, who doesn't make enough movies, but is one of the great directors in the world, used to be represented by Fred Milstein when Fred Milstein was an agent. Fred Milstein eventually became a, uh, a completion bond guarantor mm -hmm. that my wife worked for. Fred was the guy who bonded uh, Lost in La Mancha, the la or, or the, the, the previous oh, yeah. Terry Gilliam La Mancha film that went south, and yeah. he's depicted in the documentary. One day, knowing that I'm a big uh, Jean-Jacques Benex fan, Fred said to my wife, oh, Jean-Jacques is in town with his wife. They're coming over for dinner. Would you guys like to join us? Of course, I freaked out. I ran around the house just screaming like a schoolgirl. And, uh, and we spent a wonderful dinner at, uh, at Fred's house and had dinner with Jean-Jacques Benex and his wife. Wow. And it was amazing. I actually got to have a private dinner with Jean-Jacques Benex and could not be a nicer guy. Also could not be more cynical about Hollywood. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. uh, and, and you would expect him to be. But really, just the greatest guy in the world. So smart, so sharp, wonderful, always willing to talk about his movies. And uh, Betty Blue is, is Benex at his level best. It is still a wonderful film all these years later. From 1986, three hours long, and you don't, in the director approved cut, you don't feel a minute of the length. It is fantastic. Tons of extras, uh, tons of interviews. There's an hour long documentary about the film that is just superb. Set aside four hours for the movie and the documentary. Um, it's really, really superb. I, I just can't recommend it uh, enough. There's also, you know, French television stuff. It's terrific. On the domestic end, the story of Temple Drake with Miriam Hopkins from 1933. Fascinating movie. Pre-code, just barely pre-code, and also just on the cusp of when Prohibition is ending. Based on a uh, novel by William Faulkner called Sanctuary, this is kind of like an early roughie. It's a pre-code film about a woman who winds up but at the, the horrible mercy of bootleggers in their bootleggers' mm. lair. And these sexual overtones and... The, 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 the graphic stuff of this is really, really, um, it's harrowing even now. It, it, you can imagine what it was like then. This is a terrific, fascinating film, and it also features a, uh, a conversation between John Bailey, cinematographer and current president of the Academy, or previous president of the Academy, and uh, our friend Matt Severson from the Margaret Herrick Library. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Severson, who took mm -hmm. our, our mm -hmm. LAFCA, helped us uh, get our LAFCA um, uh, archive. Uh, archive set up over there. Matt Severson, terrific guy, 
really smart. And uh, the conversation that he has with John Bailey is uh, is all about you know the the archival. Um, materials that they use to get this film back into shape. I mean, it's really, it's a wonderful conversation. And uh, there's uh, even a new uh, piece with uh, Imogen Sarah Smith, film critic, about uh, Miriam Hopkins and her performance, and it's just, it's great. It's all great. So I'm just thrilled that, uh, you know, Matt Severson and John Bailey are, are on this. It's terrific. It is an unbelievable film. The story of Temple Drake from 1933. Absolutely fantastic. Also, Irving Rapper's uh, terrific Now Voyager with Betty Davis and Paul Henry and Claude Rains. This is uh, an absolute legend of a film from 1942. Betty Davis has rarely been better. Uh, it has an episode from the Dick Cavett Show in 1971 with Betty Davis. It has an interview with Paul Henry from 1980. And uh, it has a scene commentary on the film's score by Jeff Smith. It's absolutely terrific. Um, look, it just, I mean, you know, the, Betty Davis is the... Uh, as the the spinster who uh, uh, who you know um, through the uh, through the work of a psychiatrist become transforms you know it's sort of like an early version of Pygmalion it's anyway it's an amazing movie wonderful performance and if that's not enough an older Betty Davis in 1950 and All About Eve will get you going man this is a great movie still all about eve um one of the great all-time it won best picture one of the all-time great oscar performers um most nominations of all time of any movie tied now with uh, la la land and um you know it, hold on it's going to be a bumpy night <laughs> come on it's the best movie the best look at behind the scenes stuff ever and one of my favorite things about All About Eve, and who those who don't know, I, you know, Betty Davis plays the aging star, and mm -hmm. uh, and Bancroft is that the young up up and comer, the conniving up and comer who's going to find her way, you know, into Betty Davis's shoes. When they did Alex uh, um, uh, Hotel, who wrote Hotel? Um, oh, I forget. The, well, anyway, the the series Hotel for television. It was a TV movie with Betty Davis playing mm -hmm. the matron of the hotel. Mm -hmm. When it went to series. And Bancroft stepped into the Betty Davis role, which is so ironic. I don't, I don't know how many people didn't knew like understood the irony of that, but uh, I laughed hard. Um, and my favorite line in this movie, I'm just going to say, is George Sanders when he says to to a, a, a melodramatic and Bancroft, "You're too short for that gesture." <laughs> my favorite line ever. Uh, sit three more, three more on the Criterion end as we start to wrap this up. We're going to go to some TV here in a moment. Uh, Sidney Lumet's The Fugitive Kind, adapted by the, from the Tennessee Williams play with Marlon Brando, Anna Magnani, and Joanne Woodward. This is a, one of the great films of the 1960s, right at the beginning of the decade. Um, superb black and white, just uh, really an amazing movie. Everything that you would expect from a Sidney Lumet movie is on display here. It's Sidney Lumet, Tennessee Williams, Marlon Brando. You can't go bloody wrong. Loaded with extras. Tunes of Glory, a great British movie by Ronald Neem with Alec Guinness and John Mills. Also mm. just an epic movie from the same year, 1960. Um, just the other side of the pond. And uh, just a, a wonderful look at, at, at with Alec Guinness kind of getting... He's taking a lot of the character that he, uh, he'd already depicted in uh, Bridge of the River Kwai and kind of investing it in here. 
is this commanding officer of a, of a, of a Scottish battalion uh, in peacetime. And it's really uh, a, a just a powerful, moving drama. It's absolutely beautiful. I was, um, I was the projectionist. And Ronald Neem uh, in the early That's 90s. Right. Yeah, and I was I projectionist that. in that class. And that was oh, one of the yeah. what a guy. Yeah, fantastic person. His mother was a, f- a wonderful French actress. Glory, Glory. Um, what is oh. his mother? The wonderful French actress. Glory. Anyway, uh, extraordinary. And then the, the last criterion is Old Joy by Kelly Reichert, who uh, remains one of our, our great female directors. Not just female director, but one of our great directors of independent films. And really one of the first to kind of break the, the gender barrier. Uh, this is from 2006. Old Joy is a very, very sweet film. Uh, beautiful performances by Daniel London and Will Oldham, who've really gone on to do not a whole lot of anything. But they made this for next to nothing. And um, uh, it, it really is just a, just a beautiful kind of uh, road trip and character study. And it's just fantastic filmmaking here from 2006. Beautiful movie by Kelly Reichert with some great, uh, great extras on here, including new interviews and a conversation with the two actors and where they are now. Uh, I just wanted to do a couple of television ones over here, yeah. particularly this uh, interview with Dr. Martin Luther King by David Susskind. So, so this good. is out of the David Susskind archives. Yeah. This is an extraordinary, uh, just an extraordinary thing. Um, um, so back in uh, June 1963, uh, David Susskind conducted this long and very specific and intimate interview uh, with Dr. Martin Luther King, and they talked about everything, including the recent events, recent events in at Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the recent events at the time in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, uh, it was a very consequential interview, this, and it almost didn't happen. Uh, w- WPIX uh, out of New York had cleared the show to air, but its affiliate down in Alabama, WNY, uh, w- WNEW-TV did not want to air the show because they were afraid of the way it would play, this sort of discussion of ra- racial conflict in America. Uh, but WPIX uh, uh, sort of won the day, and the interview went on. And they discussed just about everything, including uh, Dr. King's very specific disappointment with the Kennedy administration and how slowly the Kennedy administration was moving on, on, civil, rights. on the civil rights information. Yeah. Uh, this uh, upset the uh, internal machinations in the Kennedy administration greatly and, and forced Robert Kennedy to, to deal with some of these things and ultimately John Kennedy too. Um, so this was a very consequential interview. This is restored by the Paley Institute. It's a beautiful, beautiful restoration. The conversation, you don't have things like this anymore. This, the equivalent of this does not exist today. True. Uh, we don't have those interview shows. And David Susskind has been one of those great sort of intellectual interviewers that we've sort of lost a little bit to history. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, unfortunately, he was one of the pioneers of it all. He was. Um, True. As opposed to, say, Dick Cavett. Yeah. Uh, who I have uh, here in my hand. Dick Cavett, uh, the radio pi- pioneer. Dick Cavett. Dude, Dick Cavett is just an extraordinary. I watch the Dick Cavett show all the time. It's I did on too. one of those sort of broadcast stations. I did too. And you look at the Dick Cavett show, and then you look across to who he's interviewing, and you just never know who will be there. So I'm watching the Dick Cavett show the other day. And the middle 70s show, the extraordinary Melba Moore, wonderful Mm -hmm. uh, black uh, R&B singer, and she's sitting next to Salvador Dali. And Melba Moore and Salvador Dali are like flirting. Or at least Salvador is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melba was probably just being kind, but Salvador was hot for Melba more, <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. And yet they're all having these extremely sort of intellectual conversations th- that were the sort that happened on the Dick Cavett yeah. show. Dick, of course, had worked for for Jack Park. Yeah, uh, and he also worked for Johnny Carson as, as Johnny Carson was getting going. But Jack, it was Jack who told him, uh, make your interviews conversational. Yeah, do not dumb them down. 
uh, either for your interviewee or for the audience. That's, a sm that's so smart. Be as bright and smart as you are. You will be surprised that Jack people will rise to your level. Uh, and some of the most extraordinary interviews that ever happened happened on the Dick uh, Cavett show. Um, so this is wonderful. Uh, radio pioneers, Bob Elliott, Ray yeah. Golding, Don Imus. I almost forgot about Don yeah. Imus. And, of course, because he's been around so damn long, Howard Stern uh, from the early 80s, middle 80s, uh, uh, on these, uh, this set of interviews. Again, some very insightful conversations, not always about uh, the subjects that you would think that these yeah. folks would talk about. They drifted off into politics. They drifted off into literature. The, they were very, very bright people, and Dick Cavett always trusted them to be as bright as they are. Uh, Bonanza. Uh, uh, yeah, this look, dude. Uh, vo volume one and volume two, I have here. This uh, series, uh, which, which which seasons? Uh, this is going to be the twentieth, uh, the uh, the tenth official season, and the uh, well, they're both the tenth, the tenth, Ten, tenth season, season volume, volume one, one and, two. and volume two. Yeah, okay. uh, And of course, Bonanza was on from nineteen fifty nine until like forever, the, the middle seventies or something. Twenty six like million people a week used to watch. Used Bonanza. to watch this show. Of course, there were only three networks at the time, but twenty six million people basically took up one third. Of the it's entire amazing. viewing population at any, at, at any given moment. Th that, I mean, you're, you're lucky to get 7 million people today. Absolutely extraordinary. Special features on both of these, uh, the 10th season, Volume 1 and Volume 2. I still love this series. It's great. Some people poke at it because of, you know, the Hopsing thing and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. But I think about it like this. Um, uh, Hopsing was an integral part of this sure family. Sure was. Sure was. Uh, and, 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 and generally speaking, Hopsing was never treated poorly no. by this family at all. There were episodes where Hop Singh was treated poorly by But that means that these filmmakers, way back in the 60s they and 50s... They were a little bit enlightened about yeah, it. Yeah, they were enlightened about this. Yeah. And they knew to tell stories about that, and little Joe would go and shoot somebody. And uh, and uh, I will say this, though. He's got he's got uh, three sons from three different women who all died in childbirth or something. That's uh, yeah. not a good track record. Yeah, you know, Don't you date know, that man. Yeah, Lauren Green was, 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 was knocking him off. We forget Pernell Roberts was on uh, yeah. that show. Oh, no, Pernell Roberts used to be a neighbor. Uh, oh, he really? Was, yeah, he was a jerk. You know, he was, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you know, Pernell doesn't have a good reputation. He doesn't have a good rep. He was not. Trapper John, eventually. Yeah. Uh, probably the second running, uh, longest running uh, series was uh, Gunsmoke, yeah. 1955 to uh, maybe it was even longer. It's the longest. Gunsmoke was the longest, longest, was the longer 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 one. Yeah. Uh, and again, this is the 17th and 16th and 17th season of Gunsmoke. Uh, uh, another series that I loved. Another series that was brighter and a little bit more forward thinking than you think. Miss Kitty. Yeah. Who, who ran the whole house. Yeah. Ran, she was running the whole house. Just the yeah. only way to say it. She was running True. the whole house. The cat yeah. house. She was doing it. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know what? Miss Kitty was a self-actualized woman that didn't take no crap from nobody. True. Uh, so, you know, uh, interesting the way we think about these things now. We, you look a little bit closer, and something a little bit more sophisticated yeah. is going on in these shows than we give it's credit true. for. Yeah, yeah, really, really it is. Got a couple for, uh, let's wrap out with these. Uh, George Clooney's Catch-22 uh, for, for Hulu. I like the original film better with Alan Arkin. That just still is, is my fond memory. I love that. But Clooney does a really interesting job of, of, of finding a different take on it. Um, it's not as funny. It's not as funny. It's probably more faithful to the novel, and it's long. You know, this is, this is four and a half hours. He really gets into all the nuances of the book and really kind of it finds things there that never made it into the other movie. It's not as funny. It's more ironic, a little bit more, um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it pushes the envelope. Um, a lot of special features, mostly uh, featurettes and deleted scenes and outtakes as well, which are not that funny, just more interesting than anything. But he gets a good cast. He's in it himself. He's very good. Direction is solid. So can't fault him. This is, um, is it's, uh, you know, this is a, this is a very interesting uh, addition to Catch-22 lore. 
and um, I think does very it honors the book. And then lastly, Letterkenny, seasons one and two from Crave. This is a Canadian comedy that is absolutely hilarious. This reminds me a little bit of Father Ted and uh, mm. things like Green Acres, where you're you're kind of lovingly poking fun at rural people and their idiosyncrasies. And um, Letterkenny is is you know out in the middle of nowhere. It's in the boonies, and uh, it's just you know there are only a there are just really only dumb people there. <laughs> they, they, they only three groups, right? Hicks, skids, and hockey players. And um, every Canadian stereotype that you can think of is integrated here and is poked around and yeah. prodded and celebrated. And, uh, uh, you know, this is, this, is Canadian, this is Canadian eccentricity at its very best. I think this is a really, really fun show. Seasons one and two from Crave of Letterkenny. And with that, we are done for the week. We are done for the year. So we wish you all a happy new year. Uh, and uh, we will uh, ramp this show up again once the holidays are over. Don't have an absolutely firm date yet, but it will probably be the uh, second week in January. So have a great new year, and we will see you all then.